All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, rarely in video form. This is our first video episode that we're actually doing because I have a most amazing man here with me as my guest today, somebody who I have been listening to since I was barely out of the womb, and that is pretty much literal. Mr. Ted Neely. Ted, how are you? <laughs> I'd like to thank you for that, that introduction. Uh, may I uh, pay you a nice, lovely sum for that? I, I'm just happy that I'm getting an opportunity to speak with you. I, <laughs> as I was saying before we started recording, uh, literally, I was uh, one when the movie came out, 13 months, and I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I remember every year, the only opportunity I had to see it was at four in the morning on Easter Sunday because that was the only time they would allow it to be shown on television. And this was before VCRs. So Aww. the first videotape that we bought when we got our VCR was Jesus Christ Superstar, because why wouldn't we? <laughs> That's amazing. I it's, love it. It's been quite an amazing thing, because I don't know how many hundreds of times I've listened to the soundtrack or watched the movie, and every single time, it just grips my heart and squeezes it and says, you're going to cry whether you want to or not. It's such a powerful thing, I don't know of anything for me that's ever topped the emotional content of this project. Speaking my words, and after having done it as many years as I have, every time I walk on that stage, again, it's the first time all over. And you talk about crying. Mm -hmm. I have never once sung Gethsemane without crying in the process. I can imagine. It's, it's, it is a very powerful song. I don't think Ugh. it's I don't think it's the only incredibly powerful song in the film. Oh, absolutely not. I, I think the the uh confrontation that you have with Pilate is uh gives Gethsemane a run for its money because the especially the last section of that is just so Ooh. powerful. Barry uh, Dinan in his Don't let me stop, you know. Exactly. And that leads me to my first question for you because I've always wondered this. Now, I've been in recording studios enough times to know the atmosphere and the environment, but you guys went into the studio and you performed what we hear in the movie. You had to have all that emotion. How did you, how did you get yourselves to that point where you were so in character, so in the moment that you gave the performances that you did because they're stunning? Well, I have to honestly say that um, Carl and I I uh, had been performing Superstar many, many times mm -hmm. uh, live uh, for audiences everywhere before we got into the film. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we did the Broadway show in 1971. We did the beginning of the first national uh, Superstar tour. It's, it opened at the Universal Amphitheater in Hollywood. And then we, when we finished that, we went right into the film. Wow. So there was never a moment where we weren't either performing it live or rehearsing it to do re to perform it live or rehearsing it and preparing it for the film. And sure. I got to tell you, ever since then, I, I am amazed when we walk on that stage. <laughs> and Carl and I did it for years after. And every time, literally, it, we just would look at each other and say, okay, get ready to cry, buddy. And <laughs> always yeah. have when I saw you guys in Denver on the 25th anniversary tour, I was blown away by thinking exactly what you're saying. It's, it's like, I know you guys have been doing this for years over and over, night after night, same songs, but it was like the first time you had sung them. It was like this was really happening as a first time event in front of me. And that blew my mind. 
Well, think about it from the point of view of the origins of this work, which was the original Brown album. Mm -hmm. Uh, The lyrics that Tim Rice put together uh, tells a story every time you read it, every time you perform it every and when you get to sing it and the audience is sitting there responding to what you're doing you can feel the energy from the audience constantly and most of the time you can hear them singing with you Mm -hmm. you see and you know how great that feels oh i can't i can't even imagine Uh, it it, and when it happens you, you don't your feet don't touch the ground, literally. It just, sure. you float all the way through it. And right. new elements happen. You know, the more you do something, the more comfortable you come with it, you know. And especially with Carl, bless his heart, and I miss him so much. We always did things differently. Mm-hmm. We always challenged each other in each performance to do, yeah, go here. And we always knew that wherever one of us went, the other one would be right there. Never a challenge, never a challenge always a support. Mm-hmm. And it's still to that this day, without Carl, his spirit is right there beside me. And everybody I've worked with talks about it the way you do. Isn't that amazing? It, it is. No, Nobody ever gets bored. They can't wait to get on the stage and do it again. And when you think of, of all these amazing projects that, that have happened uh, over the last 50 years, there is nothing that people talk about with the passion that they talk about Superstar. That, that just shows what you guys created was, even though you, know, you went into it with the expectation of, well, this is a project and it's going to be fun, we're going to do it, not really knowing what it was going to go on to be, what you guys created was absolute magic. There's no doubt about that. Well... Think about this. My first experience in musical theater was Hair, Mm -hmm. directed by a man named Tom O'Horgan, who had done God knows how many great shows prior to that, but he chose to do that. (sighs) Next to that was Superstar. Next to that was Tommy. Mm -hmm. Next to that was Sgt. Pepper. Tom O'Horgan directed three of those four. Wow. If I, if not for Tom O'Horgan, I wouldn't have been in any of them. You see? True. And what he did with our cast originally, when we did made hair, he in the rehearsal process helped us all come together as one unique spirit. Every person on that stage was part of the one spirit. Then along comes Norman Jewison. Ah, had Norman Jewison not been around, there would have been no film of Jesus Christ Superstar. That's he listened to the album. He fell in love with the album. He wrote the screenplay based upon the words in the album. He did everything he possibly could to make it a real, believable element. Then he takes us to Israel. And we're surrounded by the atmosphere of what we're talking about. Right? I mean, to have filmed it where these things actually happen, to actually yes. see Gethsemane in the physical garden of Gethsemane. I mean, that yes. had to be overwhelming. It was absolutely unbelievable. No matter where we walked, we were walking in somebody's footsteps. In the you midst know, of a just... war. <laughs> what, a, what an influence. Yes. Well, I want to. And the war, the war literally happening. They they were supposed to be finished with it, but they were still bombing the borders while we were there. Mm -hmm. That's why the tanks and jets were in the film, because Norman wanted to show them how ridiculous. 2,000 years later, and we're at war still here. What is this? It's unbelievable. I want to take a step back, though, because when you started performing Jesus Christ Superstar before the movie came out, 
you weren't Jesus. Is that correct? You weren't the lead as Jesus. You were the understudy? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, uh, Tom Horgan had worked it out for Carl and myself to be Jesus and Judas in the original Broadway show wow. because we had worked together with him, you see. Mm-hmm. And other people who had influence had other ideas. And, and so Tom asked us if we would consider understudying. Well, Carl had just completed doing a tour that he went back out and rejoined as the lead role of Judas. I said, fine, I'll be the understudy because it was Tom O'Horgan. I would have worked with Tom O'Horgan as the janitor sweeping the floor <laughs> after the performance just to sure. work with Tom O'Horgan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that, I was the understudy, literally. So <laughs> I think that your, fact- your story is a little more inspiring than people really consider because you were patient, you hung in there, you did what you had to do, and then turned that into the leading role. And if I understand the story right, and I don't want to get too deep into it because you guys talk about it on this extended DVD we're going to talk about, but, <laughs> uh, but Norman came to see you and you weren't performing that night and he was leaving the next day, but you weren't happy with that. You decided to take your fate into your own hands, which I love when people do this, and you went and saw him at his hotel. You were not going to let him leave without making sure you connected. Yes, Absolutely. And honestly, I wasn't going there with the idea that he would cast me in his film. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go and meet this gentleman who I admired his work, you see, thinking, well, maybe he'll have a film coming up someday that maybe I could be in. Sure. But I took the extra step whenever I found out I was going to go knock on the door to try to look like Jesus, just in case. Sure. had an actor buddy who came and put a wig on me and put a thing on me here, you know, because I was doing Tommy trying to look like a kid. Right. See? Yeah. And it was wonderful. Just the fact that we sat down together and, and we had a great conversation. Mm-hmm. And but the bottom line was he just said at the end, I, I, I'm not here casting principles. I have all my principles cast. I'm just here in California getting the dancers and the singers, the chorus people, all that. Mm-hmm. He said, but I'll certainly keep you in mind for future projects, which is what I wanted him to do. Sure. You see? Yeah. Yeah. Then we do the we did Superstar at the Universal Amphitheater with Carl and I both in it. We were rehearsing and one night. <laughs> uh, I get a call from Norman Jewison saying, uh, Ted, uh, I'm going to bring you over for a screen test. And we're on the Universal lot. There's so many sound stages there. I figured, well, it'll be lunchtime and it'll be a break and we'll go next door and I'll sing. And uh, mm. No, he said, I, I have to bring you to London, to the studio here to, for, for the screen test. And I, I, I was... Uh, you know, Paul, I couldn't believe it. I just said, well, uh, do you have anybody there that, that I could do with G- with Judas, Judas and Jesus doing something? He said, yeah, we have people here who are auditioning, but what do you, what, what's your idea? I said, well, Carl Anderson is right here rehearsing with me. Any chance? He took us both to London for a screen wow. test. You know, what's really interesting, too, is uh, because there's two very well-known versions of the soundtrack out, it's interesting that people, which one people prefer, and it's usually the one that they hear first. Uh, I knew this movie and this soundtrack for years before I found out that there was another previous recording. I had no idea. And ironically, my favorite band is Deep Purple. So having no idea that Ian Gillen was the original singer on the broadcast recording of my favorite band, it just felt, you know, silly. But... I will say, when I listen to that, I do find Carl's performance to be very passionate. I love his voice on that. 
uh, it's just so strong. It just starting with heaven on on our minds is to walk in with that as the beginning after the overture. He sets the tone for that, and and he just sets the bar so high. And then you guys <laughs> met it every step of the way. Oh. and and the songs that were added for the film version fit right in like they were part of it from the beginning. And do you know how they were created? I don't. Norman Jewison. In writing the screenplay, he felt, and he said, he talked to Tim, he said, I, I feel the priests look like vultures. Mm-hmm. They don't, they just come in and they destroy everything. He said, I need something to explain who they are and why they're doing what they're doing so that they don't look like bad guys. Mm-hmm. And Tim said, well, what's your thought? He said, I need them to, to make up their minds, to decide what it is and why. And Tim said, decide, that's a good word. And I said, yeah, that's good. Uh, we, we, we want to see them decide how to, and Tim said, how about then we are decided? Boom, that's the name of the song, okay? Now, add to your list of unusual things. <laughs> Bob Bingham and Kurt Yajin learned that song. They'd never heard it. They learned it in the studio while we were in London pre-recording. It had never been performed by anyone. They read the music. They sang the song. Think about that. That's amazing. I, and talk about a couple of amazing uh, performers, both of them with glorious voices. Yes. Uh, I can't sing like either one of them, but, <laughs> but just, just I love the contrast of the, the deep voice that Bob has and then the high voice that Kurt has. It just played so beautifully off of each um, other. You could see easily why they were selected to be in those roles. Yes. Now, Norman did see them in the Broadway show. They were both in the Broadway show. Okay. Performing those, those roles. You see. Oh, so that wasn't him that decided that. I'm sorry? It wasn't Norman that, did, that put those two together in those roles. No, no, no. They, they didn't have that. We didn't have that song then. It right, wasn't in right. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what I'm saying is they performed the Caiaphas and Annas roles in the Broadway show. And he, they didn't have to audition. He just called him and said, I saw you in the show. Boom, boom, boom. Then he gets to London and there's that song. You see, and just think it goes from it, uh, gentlemen, you know, to he's a cray. <laughs> it's so unexpected. It's almost, almost comical that the sound of that voice, because looking at his face with the beard, you think it's going to be another deep voice guy. And it just right. comes out so high pitched. It, it, it really throws you off a bit. But of course, once you get used to it, it's just part of the of the show. Oh. But there was another piece of music that was added for the film that it's very simple, and I absolutely love it. It was a reprise of Poor Jerusalem on piano that just filled in some of the extra scenes while you're walking along. And I thought that is just such a beautiful addition, you know, for the film. Yes. And that was done, obviously, once Norman got his screenplay together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And then whenever we did the post-recording, you know, Andre Prebin was the conductor of the London Philharmonic who were there in the studio and they did all those things. They, well, we need this. We need a moment like this. And it just, Norman Jewison, what are you going to do? That, that, that man heard this album and fell in love with it and decided I'm going to make a film. And it was the first ever rock opera to be made into a film. That's right. So when we were shooting it, we didn't even know it was going to be distributed. Whether he'd find a company to do it because he was doing everything himself. <clears throat> Once it was finished, he screened it for several, and Universal said we'll go for it. But what I'm saying is, without Norman Jewison, this would never have happened, and that's oh, why right. what you saw, we wanted to pay homage to Norman and all the wonderful work he did. So it's a it's a love song to Norman Jewison that 
lovely film. Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to talk about the DVD in just a second. But before I do, I have one other thing I want to point out. Uh, yeah. And I don't think there's any real spoiler alerts by saying what happened in the movie, because I think pretty much people know the story and how it ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but there was a, a beautiful accident that happened on the on the screen. And, you know, being that we could only watch this once a year for yeah. a while, I saw this one year on the television at the very end, the, the scene with the sun going down. And I thought I saw a shadow at yeah. the very bottom of the sun. And I'm like, what is that? That had to be an accident. But it, it, it turns out it was a happy accident. You are so observant because to this day, there are people who, who say to me, I've seen this show hundreds of times who never noticed that, you mm -hmm. see. And it happened by accident, literally. And the reason I'm saying that is Norm, Norman, bless his heart, was surprised more than any of us because he made sure that they had nobody anywhere in the area or surrounding where, from where the cross was in the sunset all the way back to where the camera was watching in the distance, you mm -hmm. see. And nobody noticed. Nobody noticed until they saw it as it was happening. They And, and the guys on the crew said, well, we can go over there and, and stop these. And Norman said, no, 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 no. Leave it. We'll see. We can always fix it if we have to. Mm -hmm. It's the most gorgeous thing of that spirit there's, there's the shepherd and the sheep. You see, the flock is following the shepherd. Mm -hmm. It's magnificent. And I'm amazed that you saw it on a tiny screen. Well, yeah, I was too. I, I thought uh, that there must be something wrong with the print because I couldn't really make out what it was until I saw it, you know, on a much later on a bigger screen. But yes. not only was it amazing just that you had caught somebody at that time, but for it to be a shepherd of all people with the flock yes. of sheep. I mean, yes. what are the chances? Yes, yes. And see, we didn't know at all where the, the basis of the location was, was, was almost dead center from one side, north, south, east, or west, where the shepherds would be taking their flock to one side to the other for them to, to eat for the day and then take them back to where they live. We didn't know that. Yeah. And we didn't know it until we found out. <laughs> Norman wanted to have the Garden of Gethsemane the way it looked, you see. Well, it was there, the trees and all that, but there was no grass at all. It was just rocks and sand. So he sent part of the crew over several months in advance to plant the grass so it would be lovely and green, you see. Well, what happened? It became a you know, a rest stop for all the sheep in, in Israel. <laughs> sure. yeah. He had to make a deal with the, with the shepherds to keep them away. He said, when we're finished, it's yours. You see, mm -hmm. and, and the best way to point that out is, is during that confrontation between Judas and I, when he says, you know, he runs up the hill and all those sheep are there. He can't get through. They're waiting for, for dinner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we were yeah. disturbing their dinner. <laughs> there were certainly some happy accidents that happened that really, you know, Aww. sometimes you just you just go with what happens in your environment and then things just become accidentally magical. And uh, I love that. I, I just you can't plan some things, you know, but you embrace those yeah. good things that come your way. Yes. Um, so one of the reasons that uh, obviously you're going around doing some interviews is because we have a wonderful DVD that came out that I got. And you were very kind to autograph this for me, by the way, uh, when oh. I ordered it. Uh, this is the uh, the Superstars DVD, and you guys have now come out with an extended, a beautiful extended version of this that has, well, let's just say this, when you guys watch this, and you're going to watch this, 
Uh, I would go out between now and April 2nd and buy up as many boxes of Kleenex as you can and yeah. uh, and some trash bags because you're going to need them. It is the most emotional in a, in a joyful way. I mean, you guys all being back together, there is such an energy that you guys have in these moments that I, it, it's beyond description, but it's, it's just so overwhelming. It's almost hard to watch. Yeah. I, you're making me cheer up here. <laughs> and, and I mean that in the most beautiful way. Like literally well, I spent half the day just with wiping like tears out of my eyes because I but, just, I felt like I was there in that moment with you guys in all of those segments that are on the DVD. And there are a couple of amazing tributes to a couple of the guys that are no longer with us, Carl and Barry, um, just just so beautifully presented and, and very uh, classy tributes to both of them, I might add. Uh, you produced this. What what made you put this together at this point? Because I know we're coming up on 48 years since yes. the movie's come out, which is amazing. Uh, yes. is, what was it that inspired you about the 48th year? Literally, the fact that we are all still doing it one way or another. Uh, and the fact that we miss so much Carl and Barry. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we wanted so literally to thank Norman Jewison. Because he literally changed our lives. Mm -hmm. And we have to also thank Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber who created this, you Mm -hmm. see. You're talking about the passion. When you can have a melody that is so passionate in every song that's there, and yet the words tell the story without the melody. Then you combine that magnificent melody so that you can hear the melodic elements. The passion is just flowing all around you and we wanted to say thank you because you know we didn't we were so surprised when barry got sick and and even more surprised when carl passed away the point was we don't have a whole lot of time left to thank each other you know yeah and uh i don't know if you're aware or not but uh, frank and i do screenings all over the country whenever you know, we we were doing one we were out there just when the pandemic hit that's what stopped us if it weren't for the pandemic we'd still be doing it sure. plus I was invited to 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 Rome to do a six week performance wow. of Superstar uh, for their twentieth anniversary that they were doing it every year at Easter and Christmas, and they wanted me to be in it for that anniversary, twentieth anniversary. Amazing. Six weeks. Guess how long that tour ran? I don't know. Six weeks. It was planned. Six okay. weeks. I'm going to say two months. Five and a half years. Wow. If it weren't <laughs> for the pandemic, we would still be in Europe doing that tour. You see, and we kept doing the screenings around it. Whenever I was off from that, we mm-hmm. I'd come back home, and Frank and I'd go out and do screenings. You right. see, so my life has been completely full of Jesus Christ Superstar, and people say, "Don't you get tired of this?" You, it recharges my battery every time I walk into a room. It's just, just like mm-hmm. this. You're making me feel so good by the fact that you know so much about it. That's absolutely magnificent. Well, and you're technically a second generation. Mm-hmm. It's nice you to be able to give something back to you after all that you've, you guys have given to me. It, oh. it really is a, it, my pleasure, honestly, Ted. Um, there, there is just so many amazing moments on this, and I really don't want to give it away, but I do want to let people know that they can watch it April 2nd to April 5th on Tubi. Uh, it's going to be aired there. You can also rent it on demand or buy it uh, in, uh, for all of April on Vimeo. And then on August 10th, a DVD and Blu-ray are going to be released. Did I get all that right? 
you did it beautifully. Oh, yes. And I thank you for doing that because I was just looking over saying, where's my thing? And you did everything exactly right. It's- <laughs> well, that's good because on my last episode, I got the name of the project wrong. So <laughs> I got to make up for it somewhere. <laughs> Fortunately, my guest was a dear friend of mine and uh, that episode hasn't aired, but now people are going to laugh when they hear it. Um, oh, bless your heart. I'm so excited that you guys did this. I loved the DVD that I got. And oh. then when I found out there was an extended version, I was so grateful that uh, that Frank sent a, a, a screener over to me and I got to watch it. And just really, even though I've seen the interviews and all that, just to relive yes. all those again, I will watch this over and over. And every time I know I'm going to just enjoy it to the fullest. And to see the passion of everybody that was involved when this could have just been a project. Absolutely. It's turned into a lifetime. Absolutely. Yes. But I will say, honestly, I've heard some of your solo stuff, and I honestly think that had this not come together, I think you would have been okay. I think you could have had a very good career as as a solo singer or on these productions, you know, if you'd stayed on Broadway or something like that. I think you would have been fine without this. But I think that this has obviously just taken over everything for you. Changed my life completely, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only what we're talking about, just the experience of being in it, but wow. We were in Israel making the film. I met the lady who became my wife, mm. Leanne Granger, star dancer in the, in the film. She's from the National Ballet of Canada, classical ballerina. I'm a rock and roll screaming drummer from Texas. What's the chances our paths would have ever crossed anywhere? <laughs> right, yeah. You see? Yeah. There, we met each other. Changed my life completely. And Norman Jewison, being the wonderful human being that he is, and how he worked so diligently to make everybody happy. Mind you, none of us had ever been in a major film. Right. Pilot, Barry Denon, mm-hmm. Josh Mustel. Herod, they both had done some bit parts and various, but the rest of us had never been in front of a film camera. Right. Literally. And I remember when we first started doing our, our, our work that after, you know, we were there rehearsing and Norman brought the camera crew in. He said, okay, tomorrow we're going to put some costumes on and we're going to do some costume tests. Not, you don't have to be singing or acting or anything, but just walking around with each other with the costumes on, but thinking in character. Mm-hmm. So the next day it happens and we're all out there and got our costumes on, you know, and feeling important and we're surrounded by Israel and we're going to do wonderful things. He says, okay, I want to do the uh, uh, Jesus, Judas and the apostles first. So if you guys will just kind of start doing your thing. He said, just be sure whenever I say action, you're not doing anything, but just being there, but hit your mark. Mm-hmm. One of the apostles said, pardon me, Mr. Jewison. Um, but which one of the apostles is Mark? <laughs> That's how That's how green. Yeah, we knew nothing. Right. We knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Yet the whole time we were there, he talked to us as if we were contemporaries and had been working forever. He well, just he had a, respected he had a, us. A trust with you guys because you were so oh. comfortable and you knew you had the talent. But it but it's probably hard for him too. Just thinking about well, these are the people I want in my film. I'm used to casting people that are in films and not yes. really disconnecting the fact that you guys weren't film people. Yes. But yes. obviously the end result, it all worked out. That's him. Yeah. You know, he, he never came in. Don't do that. Uh, this is what I need. It was always, what do you think? How do you feel? What, what would you like to do here? And uh, always that to make us think that we were collaborating in the creation. All he was doing was directing us with love and kindness and making us feel family. Was it, was it the same way in the studio? Did you have a lot of freedom oh, yeah. to really sing it the way you felt it? 
well, he, he never said do this or do that. He always said, are you guys ready? Let's give it a try. You know? Yeah. Wow. Never changed anything. It was, think about London Philharmonic Orchestra. <laughs> yeah. How much more passion can you find in an orchestra? You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Andre Previn was the conductor, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, doesn't get much goodness. better than that. And you're how old no. at this point? 12. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have been what? Mid twenties, maybe. No, I, I, I actually was 28 whenever 28. we started this film. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that had to be an immense uh, thing for you, though. I mean, you're 28 years old. You're, it looks like you could potentially be getting, you know, set on a path of who knows what this could lead to. And you're working with who the knows? London Orchestra. I mean, it's that's just had to be an amazing thing. Yeah. Not even knowing where this was going to go. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, honestly, whenever we finally celebrated my 33rd birthday, you know, with family and friends, you know, that I was finally old enough to play the character that I <laughs> pretended to. And, you know, you know, right. It was such a, a heartwarming experience that I am still 33 right. today. Yeah. Oh, you look great. I, I celebrate 33 every year. You know, mm -hmm. So you stay there. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm very curious because uh, thinking about the camaraderie that you guys had uh, on set and thinking that it, it was probably a, you know, warm, friendly environment, but then you have to film, you know, trial before pilot and you guys cool. have to be against each other, complete adversaries. Or when you're, when you're having your fight with Judas at the last supper, how did you guys just go from hugging and sharing water to, okay, now we're, now we got to go after each other. How did, how do you just do that on, in that moment and in 120 degree heat, mind you. Oh, mind you. Yes. And that was when it was cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the most important thing on the set every day was water, you know. So uh, anyway, so in answer to your question, that was because of the personal relationships that we all had, especially Carl and I, you see, because we'd worked together for a long, long time. And Barry was in the Broadway show as well. Uh, so he dated back to then. Of course, he was in it the original album as well as was he was mm -hmm. Yvonne, you see. So all of us had an individual element of history with the piece and within the characters that we'd always played the same character, you see. Sure. And oh God, knowing that you could depend upon the person, just like right now with this interview, you're asking me questions that are thrilling my spirit and making me want to get up and scream and say, hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, good. You. That's that seriously, that's how we felt. Every time we were in front of the camera, when we were in the, the recording studio doing the pre-recording, and definitely after we finished the film and went back to London to do the post-recording, because what we did in the original studio for the soundtrack for us to take, because then, you know, you couldn't do it live in the desert then, you right. know, yeah. we had to pre-record and lip sync. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was very weird for me, because I'd never done a lip sync thing before, you know, but bottom line was norman talked to us in the beginning when we were in the studio laying down the blueprint so to speak he said i want all of you to know that what you've done here is absolutely perfect when we get to israel and you're lip syncing to what you're doing you're going to feel different mm -hmm. you will you'll perform different kinds of things he says i promise you when we finish the film we'll come right back to this studio and we will match your performance to what's in the film. Mm -hmm. And you can get all of that passion that you showed me visually because we're hearing, you know, imagine having uh, the Metallica band 
the guys who do the sound for the band out in the desert with speakers a mile high so it could play loud enough for us to do whatever we're doing, you see? But it's weird because the sound is so far away. It's not coming from your voice. It's coming from a distant area. So that's got to put you off a little bit, doesn't it? It does, yes. But even so, we let them know that it had to be cranked. That's why I said Metallica. Right. The, yeah. the sounds, we have to hear it as if it's a live Metallica concert. Otherwise, we can't perform it. We got to have that punch, you see. Sure. Got to hear the drums and the guitars and everything. It's oh, got to yeah. be there. And Norman, no problem. You thought we had 25 bands sitting there playing <laughs> the music for us, you know. Amazing crew lifting those speakers, especially in Gethsemane when I'm climbing up the mountain. They had to climb with the speakers. Oh, they, wow, I didn't they, even think about that. And they did it. They just did it. Everything. Just ah, incredible. Of course, nowadays, you just have a small inner ear monitor that they would hide under your hair. <laughs> exactly. It would all be done, you know. But this was a whole different world. I mean, it's it, it, we have to put in context what was going on at the time this was happening. Again, this is before CDs. This is before home video. This is before, you know, we had a a channel or a TV with three channels and rabbit ears and an antenna on the roof. When you put into perspective of what you guys really went through to make this film, it's astounding that it came out as well as it did. And I know it was, it was hard for everybody to, to hang in there and get this done. But what you guys did was amazing. But think of it. We did it. We shot it in 1972. It came out in 1973. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you just you just described in your in your diaper there, I guess you were at the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just described what was what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And still with Norman Jewison's brilliance, he was able to make it look the way it looked. He scouted those locations forever mm-hmm. to make sure we had the right look for every little moment. And it was all the only thing that wasn't naturally there was the moat for King Herod, mm-hmm. which our company built and sat it on the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that was, and that happened. The other thing that wasn't there was the grass mm-hmm. for the for uh, we mentioned before. Right. And the scaffolding Everything, I would imagine the scaffolding it, you well, guys did. That's that's something. When we walked into that that was the Herod the Great's ruins castle. Mm-hmm. And they they one of the walls had collapsed shortly before we actually showed up to do the work. And the the crew was there that, that were they were gonna they came literally to take down the scaffolding because they figured uh, Mr. Jewison's not going to want this scaffolding. So we'll, we'll put it back up when they're finished. <laughs> and they said, Mr. Jewison, we, we can take this scaffolding. He said, don't you touch it. I know exactly what I can do with it. Mm-hmm. Boom. Look what he did with it. Yeah. I mean, it looked like you guys really planned all that, to be honest. Absolutely right. Yeah. Just in, and you know, notice how how Kurt Yodgen kind of slithered down the thing <laughs> without falling and, mm-hmm. and Carl climbed up the walls without falling. Yeah. And, God, it just, everything worked beautifully. The timing was right. We were all so prepared and so proud to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And this many years later, 48th year coming up, you're saying such wonderful things about the film. God, I can't thank you enough. I, I can't thank you guys enough. And I can't tell you how many times I've listened to it, watched it, purchased it in every different format that it's come out in. Uh, <laughs> God, the time has gone so fast, Ted. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I know that it was oh. one other thing we wanted to talk about, but we're out of time. So we're going to have to come back on the show and talk about our other topic. Because uh, yeah, we, we we got ourselves into it here at the beginning. We did. We? That's how it goes. You know, when you're so... Pa- <laughs> I mean, even as a, as a viewer, I feel like I'm, I'm equally as passionate about this as you are, because it has just encompassed so much of my life. And Nothing has touched my heart like this project has. It's just been absolutely uh, a stunning thing that I'm grateful I was able to experience and 
we'll continue to experience many times. So when is the book coming out? <clears throat> uh, which book? Yours. <laughs> About how much I love, I love the show? <laughs> how I <might>. much I love. <laughs> I might. <laughs> Don't tempt me. Uh, but please do come back and see us. I wish you guys great success with, uh, with this project as, as it comes out. I'm going to have the links in the show notes for everybody. Highly recommend that you go and check it out because this is just, if you haven't seen this movie or even listened to the soundtrack, you've got to just, just block out a couple of hours and enjoy it because it's a stunning piece of artwork that will withstand time forever as far as I'm concerned. I don't think this will ever be dated. No, no. no. And that is proven. 50 years later, it's still brand new. And I hope when the, when the lockdowns are lifted and all that and we're getting, being able to do our screenings, we can come to where you are for a screening. You got to see the new screenings we have. I would digital. love that. Well, it's I'm not far like, away. I'm in Vegas. So we, uh, well, I'm sure we've got some screens here somewhere. We'll, we'll, we'll probably call you and say, tell us the theater that's a good place to do it. Because you sure that. know what it needs. <laughs> <laughs> well, please do come back and see us, Ted. Thank you so much for spending some It means the world to me to hang out with you for a while. My pleasure. And thank you for your honesty. I love it. Thank you, Ted. You take care. Okay. Okay. 